0: Good to see everyone here. I hope you've had a good week. You've been tempted with spring a little bit. The sun and the few days of warm like that felt really good. And of course, it, it gets cold. So hang on, it's coming. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and uh, start with prayer and then we'll start into that. So let's go ahead and pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for. This morning, thank you for the words we heard uh, today by Pastor Phil on love. Um, Father, I think that it will challenge our hearts, it will let us let us seek and evaluate ourselves to, to live out the genuineness of that. Father, please help us to grow and change in those areas that we identify that uh, we are weak in. Help us today as we dive into the one another of peacemaking, to live at peace among ourselves. We know that many of these are difficult. Lord, in fact, they're impossible on our own, but we're thankful for your Holy Spirit who supplies the grace and help and power that we need to be able to carry these out. So regardless of wherever we're at when we come in here today, Lord, I pray that you will give us hope, and I pray that you will give us help. Thank you again. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just just by way of reminder, the notes today are front and back, so one more sheet, so there's two pages, and the previous week's Material is there, too, if you missed any of that. Last week, we had talked about confession. Uh, I know we had there was a lot to get through, so I wanted to first kind of open it up. Anybody been processing through any of that? Anybody had a chance to practice any of that? We have ended with those seven A's of confession. So would anyone like to share? You don't have to give the specifics of it, but just maybe share an example of how that went for you. Okay, that's all right. Well, I know it's kind of kind of awkward doing that as a group. not something you normally we would typically do right there. But uh, I'm sure you had an opportunity to, in some form or fashion, uh, be able to utilize that. So uh, talk, talk with us more if you still have questions about that or anything like that. So this week, we are looking at living at peace with each other. Uh, we're going to talk about that. So we know that life is filled with conflict. Anytime you put people together, there's going to be conflict. And actually, even if you were alone on a deserted island, all by yourself, you would still have internal conflict. So there's frankly no way to escape it. When we look (coughs) at Jesus himself, Jesus was involved in a lot of conflict. So if the Son of God does not avoid being in conflict, and which of course on Jesus' part it was never sinful from his side, but... Nevertheless, he is still in conflict. So if Jesus doesn't escape conflicts, then we're guaranteed that neither will we. So knowing how to knowing how to, to think about conflicts, knowing how to work through it uh, and understand it is, is really critical for us right here. So we've got a couple passages that we want to look at. They're on your notes right there. Uh, a couple of one another's. So Romans 14, 19. Is one of our main verses today. That should be on your notes right there. So Romans 14, 19 says, Let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbringing. So notice that pursuit of peace right there. We're to pursue what makes for peace. There's Mark 9, 50. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. <coughs> And then there's 1 Thessalonians 5.13, You esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. There are three places in particular that talk about this call to to be peacemakers, to, to live at peace with each other right there. So let's start off with this. What do you think is the opposite of grace and truth? What would the opposite of grace and truth be Judgment lines, lies, okay. Mm-hmm. What else? Conclusion. Mm-hmm, good. Yeah, good. So... You can maybe say some other things like harshness, uh, unkindness, pride, those kinds of things. So what happens when you don't have grace and truth? You have conflict. So I like to ask people these questions right here. Uh, What will you do when, not if, your pastor or spouse or someone else does something that you disagree with? Says something or does something that you disagree with? What will you do? And secondly, what will you do when, not if, this is kind of related to that first one, another brother or sister does or says something that you disagree with? So that the first one was, if this is used in the context of a church leader, the second one in context of a fellow brother or sister. What will you do? Now I know it's easy to sit in here and say things like, well, I'm going to. Uh, I'm gonna i the best about them. I'm gonna go to them in love. I'm not gonna assign any wrong motives. I'm not gonna be guilty of a suicide. Um, I'm gonna be very kind to them. We're, we're gonna work this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna of course I'm a model peacemaker. But if that really were the case, and I'm not saying it's not among this group, maybe maybe you're you're like the elite. But just just think about the people in the other class down there. <laughs> we know that. Uh, That's just not always going to work no matter how much we sit in a class and say that. There's going to be those instances when we're not going to live that out. So it's easy to know this information. It's more difficult to actually live it out. So that's really what I want to focus on today is living out of this. So the Bible has a lot to say about conflict. uh, And Christians are to handle it and respond in a way unlike the world, in a way that's very different from the way that the world responds. And unfortunately, we can be just as dirty and mean as even unbelievers can. And so that's, that's really a mark of, of disgrace as people look at the lives of Christians and they think, I, you know, they're supposed to be Christians, just like the story of Pastor Phil told today, like the lady in the car, right? I know that was made up, but nevertheless, it was a good point. Um, looking at us and, and thinking, well, "I see how they handle conflict. That doesn't seem any better than the way we handle it, so why the world? would I ever want to be a Christian? So we have a lot to demonstrate to the world in the way that we handle conflict. So the goal of this is to help you have a God-centered perspective on conflict, to help you have a biblical understanding of the cause of conflict, to help you resolve your own conflict, and to help you help others in their conflicts. Now, that's probably a lot more than we're going to be able to bite off and chew today. Okay, so I, I realize that. So some of this will take additional weeks to, to unpack a little bit with other lessons. And some of that we've already talked about to some degree. Forgiveness, confession. So we won't go back into detail about those things right there. So I've uh, developed this acronym that I like in terms of PEA. In conflict. So, this is our goal, please. We're going to explain it from God's perspective. Um, so, there in your notes, you have that acronym. So, the P will be pleasing God in all that I do and say, the E will be encouraging myself and the hope of the gospel. I'll make a brief point as I'm kind of working through this right here. And then we'll go into these in detail here. This notice this part right here, pleasing God. Underline that, Pay attention to that. We're going to talk a lot about that. Secondly, you have encouragement and hope. Those are important when it comes to conflict. People can feel very hopeless. Is this ever going to change? Is it ever going to be different? Can we ever navigate through this? So this one sets our goal. This one gives us hope. Uh, the this, this third one here is a play on words. So altering my worship and behavior. So you know an object that you would uh, something that you would put a uh, sacrifice on, something that you would you would use for worship would be an altar. that's filled with an A, not an E. All right, so that connects to our worship, alter, worship. But to alter, to spell in this way, is to change, right? We want to we change our worship as well as our behavior. So slight play on words, but I think you get the point right there. Uh, it refers to both of those. So we're talking about changing, but notice it's changing our worship as well as our behavior. And then the C will be confessing my long plank sins. Uh, We we looked at that last week, and remember what Jesus said about our own sin. He calls it a long client. And then third of an an E would be extending Christ-like love, grace, and forgiveness. we're going to, our, our model that we're looking at right here. I'm, I'm not saying, always oh, you, you start with here and work through here. Uh, in fact, what we'll see is some of these never change. This goal of pleasing God never ends. It's not something you do at the very beginning and then you say, okay, forget it. I'm done with that part of it. We'll move on. This runs throughout the whole course of it. Encouraging myself in the hope of the gospel. You're going to need encouragement in your conflict no matter where you're at in it. Especially down here. So, so that never ends. Altering your worship and behavior. Again, that never ends. You're going to realize, even in living out some of these things, that your worship is wrong. Your behavior is wrong. So that will always need to change. So I don't, I don't mean to present this as a list of, uh, five or six, five steps that you take. It's more of a framework, uh, through which we, we approach conflict through. So, that would, that would raise the question. What then do we mean when we're talking about conflict? What's the definition of conflict? How would you define conflict? Problems. Okay. Problem needs to be solved. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Seeking resolution in a way that means somebody may get hurt in a process. Okay. Okay. So the way we understand conflict is important because it's going to shape how we go from here. So the definition I'll be using for this is simple conflict is when people are at odds with each other and as a result, they sin in their desires, words, actions, or thoughts. So let me write that down. There's a lot here. These are on your notes, so I don't think I necessarily have to leave these up. Although, i probably just turn them around. And the reason I am using sinful conflict and explaining it this way uh, is you'll see this at the moment. So, sinful conflict... is when people are at odds with each other. And then as a result, they sin in desires, actions, Words and thoughts. So, not all conflict is necessarily sinful. We don't have a lot of time to delve into all this today, but if we did, uh, one place I would take you would be um, Acts chapter 6. Off the top of your head, does anybody remember what's happening in Acts chapter 6, especially verses? say, especially those first seven verses, it's where we have this disagreement that breaks out. Um, the widows, the Greek-speaking widows, believe that they're being neglected in the distribution of bread. And so they come to the apostles and they say, hey, we have a problem. Y'all are focusing on the Jewish speaking, the Jewish widows, the Jewish Christian widows, our widows are being neglected. We need to step up and do something. And if you remember what the apostles do, is they say, "Listen, uh, our our role here is to focus on prayer and the word. Why don't you pick out seven seven people, seven men who can take care of this matter?" And they do that. So so there was a there was a case when we have disagreements, but it produces a good result. The, better result than they would have had had they not had that whole thing right there. Okay, so disagreement by itself is not necessarily conflict. It's not necessarily sinful conflict. We could we could disagree all day long about, um, you know, doctrinal matters, uh, just a whole variety of issues, and that wouldn't necessarily be sinful conflict. We could just be disagreeing. So our definition is when we're when sinning in it. And notice desires, actions, words, and thoughts. Does that make sense? Now, let me put another little diagram on here. Some of you may have seen this before, and then we'll ask some questions here, but where do you fit on the spectrum? So on one side, we'll start with the right side, we have what we call the peace breakers. so this would be the very uh, visible, the, the angry side, the fight side of conflict, so it's very visible, very evident. On the other hand, you would have uh, the flight side. And we would call these the peace fakers, because they don't show that they're in conflict. They withdraw, they pout, they run away from it. Here, you don't have that. They're right in your face, it's very evident. So many times people can find themselves over here thinking that they're thinking that they are biblical peacemakers, but the reality of it is they're just peacemakers. They're just running away from it. They're pouting. They're giving each other silence treatment. So our goal would be to be in here, which, which is what we call peacemaking, biblical peacemaking. So, how about we have a little discussion here? Can you describe maybe your typical response to conflict? Maybe let's do a show of hands. How many people, Just I know every case is a little bit different, every conflict is a little bit different, but on average, how many of you would say that you land more toward here, the peace breakers? When you're mad, everyone knows it. Okay. <laughs> and how many of you would say you land more toward here, the peace fakers? Yeah. So we can be kind of split, right? And relationships are often peace rakers and peace makers kind of coming together, which leads to its own problems right there. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. What do you, how would you describe a peacemaker? How would you describe a person who lives in here? In other words, tell me some of their qualities. Tell me tell me some things about them, about the way that they handle conflict. Good mm-hmm. listeners. Good listeners. Right, I like that. I was gonna say they want to communicate. Okay. Stay calm. Okay. Don't react quickly. Mm uh-huh. hmm. Okay. Good. Very good. So no matter where you're coming into this room today, I think we would all agree that we can probably grow in those categories that you brought out, those qualities that you brought out. None of us are are, are perfect in this. So that's my hope is that all of us continue to grow in this. Uh so, again, it's all too often that, that people fall into wrong places here. So the peacemakers will tend to, the peacebreaker fakers will tend to sweep things under the rug, um, not deal with things, not talk about it. Uh, whereas, and so I like the imagery of having a dead corpse in your house. It's stinking and rotting. And it's kind of sitting there, and everybody knows it's there, but nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to deal with it. (laughs) Those, those are the peace fakers. So we, we actually want. So my goal is not to help you avoid conflict. My goal is to help you become a biblical peacemaker. And again, the reason for that is Jesus himself did not avoid conflict, but Jesus was a peacemaker. Do you remember what he says on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9? Blessed are the who? Peacemakers. Yep. So again, Scripture is filled with all kinds of of verses and commands that don't just call us to to settle for getting by. No. The Bible's not about doing the minimum. Okay, you have a conflict with the other person, just ignore them. Avoid them. You know they're in this side of the church, so go to another other class. You know where their schedule is, so you, so you just go out of your way to be far away from them. You just don't deal with it. That's not what the Bible calls us to do. It calls us to be active in, in becoming peacemakers. So here's a few more verses for reference right here. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. You can look these up in your own time. Acts twenty-four sixteen. Acts twenty-four sixteen. Romans twelve eighteen. We looked at Romans fourteen, nineteen already. Ephesians four three and Hebrews twelve fourteen. Okay, so that would raise the question, where do we start when we're talking about pursuing peace? And and is that clear? That the goal is to pursue peace. The goal is not to sit back and let it come to you and hope that everybody else does their thing. The goal is for you as a person to be a peacemaker, and that means pursuing peace. So the idea of pursue is something you have to go after. Not a sit back and let it come to me, but a going after it. So where do we begin with that? Let me erase this, and then we'll talk about that. I think it's always always good to begin with God. If we want to understand how we're to live, what we're supposed to do, the best starting place is to look at God and... His approach to peace. So, God's peace. So really our starting point would be God is a peacemaking God. Who expects his children to live at peace, or we could say pursue peace, maybe that's a better way to say it, with others. So our starting point is God. God is the peace God. Uh, let's look at a, a couple verses that bring that out right here. Um, all right. Could somebody look up uh, Luke 2:14? Just raise your hand if you got it. I'm going to throw out some verses here. So Luke 2.14. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's see. Romans 1.7. Okay, thank you. Um, Philippians 4.9. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. You want that? Okay, then. All right. And then Second John one three, okay. Thank you. All right. So whenever you find yours, just uh, go ahead and uh, maybe raise your hand, say the verse, and then feel free to read it. So that way we'll know where you're at. So it doesn't matter. Let's just start on this side. We'll get this side, and we'll jump over to this side. So, you want to start? 1 Thessalonians Now may the God of peace himself, sanctify completely. Your whole spirit and soul and body blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ Okay, thank you So what did you notice about that one? What was God described as? peace Uh-huh So again, he could have been described as a God of love you could have been described as a God of comfort As a God of forgiveness All of those are totally true But it's a God of peace Okay Alright, who's next? Okay. Okay. okay, so there we have Paul's um, typical greeting, grace and peace, and that comes from the Father. So again, God is a God of peace. All right, what about, see, is that it over here? Okay, how about this side then? Okay so There for for me we have another description of God right there, another uh, reference to, the God, to the God of peace. Uh-huh. Okay. I Thank you. So, again, the, the reference to peace right there. All right. Let's see if there's one more, is that it? Luke 2 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Okay. Thank you. So, we could actually spend the whole time talking about this that God is a peacemaking God. But you kind of get the, the picture from those verses right there. God cares a lot about peace. That's his nature, a, a peaceful God. So the fact that God is a peace making God then leads his children to pursue peace and to care about this peace as well. So we've already referenced, I've given you those verses, such as Matthew 5, 9, uh, the Acts twenty four sixteen, um, Hebrews 12, 14, that talk about this call in our lives to be peacemakers. Let's just read one of those uh, to remind ourselves of that. So, well, maybe one you have not necessarily considered. Uh, let's see, Acts twenty four sixteen. Let's take a look at that. Sometimes the word peace isn't necessarily mentioned in the verse, but the concept is there. So Acts twenty four. 16, and that says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, out of fairness, the word peace is not mentioned in that verse, but you see the concept is there. Paul takes great pains, great efforts to make sure he has a clear conscience before God and man. So, so Paul is thinking, is there, is there, are there other people with issues with me? Is there some kind of sin that I'm not dealing with? What's going on in my conscience? Is it clear? And he's taking pains to effort to resolve those things. So that's, that's the spirit of a peacemaker. Somebody who is taking great effort to maintain a clear conscience. Now, you're not going to be able to change the way other people view you, per se. If if it's on their end of it, if they're the one that is sinning against you, you can't fix that, right? But what we can do is make sure that we are part of that. And that's why in Romans, if you look up those verses, it, it talks about as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So, again, you know, you can't control your spouse, you can't control your neighbor, you can't control someone else in the church, what they're going to do, how they're going to respond to you. I understand that. But what we can do is, as far as it depends on us, seek to live peaceably with them. Now, beginning with God, God is a peacemaking God that motivates us to live at peace, then. It should change the way that we view conflict, so it should change the way in which we approach conflict, and that would raise a question, how? How can I view conflict in a different light? I don't have anybody here today who would raise their hand and say, I love being in a conflict. It is the most rewarding and beneficial part of my life. Anyone? I was hoping hoping someone would come take over for me here. (laughs) I think most of us, if we're honest, uh, let me throw this question instead of a statement. How do you tend to view conflict? Tell me a little bit about that. How do you tend to view conflict? Think think, uh, in terms of your whole body, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires, your actions, your responses, all of that. Mm -hmm. I don't need any part of that. Mm -hmm. Interruption to my as we Look at this. I believe it's very important to change the way that we view conflict, and the reason for that is how we view something, to a large degree, impacts how we're going to go through it, how we're going to handle it. Um, I just remember growing up, parents would want to take you to someone else's house, and if you like the kids, you'd really want to go, but if you didn't really connect with them, no, I don't want to, go. I want to stay home. And if you had to go, you were kind of kicking and screaming the whole time. And, and so my dad said, listen, how you view it is going to, if you go with a bad attitude, what do you think is going to happen? You're probably not going to like it. If you go with a good attitude, if you choose to have a good attitude, you'll probably like it more, right? So the way we approach conflict, uh, our view of it, is really going to shape the way that we go through it. So I want to give you uh, God's perspective on conflict. So there's two questions to ask yourself. One, how can I please God with conflict? God in this context. That's typically not a question that we would ask. How would we uh, typically reword this question? There you go. Yep. And that's why conflict doesn't go well, because they want to put their Okay? The second question then would be, how can I view this conflict as an act of Let me me rephrase that as an opportunity for worship. If we approach it, if we approach the conflict as an opportunity for worship, it's going to change the way that we then work through that. So how can I glorify God in this? How can I keep God in this? And then how can I worship God? This concept right here. So our problem is we tend to uh, we tend to take worship and put that in its little category for something we do on Sunday. And so we just came from worship. Okay, now I've got the rest of the week to go kind of do my thing. And then the next Sunday I'll come back and I'll go to worship again. And what we fail to see is that every part of life is about worship. So how can we view conflict as an opportunity? How can we use conflict as an opportunity, uh, not an obstacle, but an opportunity? Let me throw that out to you. What 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 benefits can come from conflict? What in what ways could God use conflict to do something within you? What do you think? Okay. on God I'll you a few more right here. Uh you, you hit on some of those, we could say it's real. I like, I like that. We could say that will enhance... Enhance your relationship with God. What way? How? Well, as you're in a conflict, you realize that you're very weak. You don't have it all. Like to respond in a godly way takes power and help that's outside of you, something you don't naturally possess. So where are you gonna go with it? It's either you're gonna to go to yourself, you're gonna to go to your own resources, as in the Old Testament would talk about, you're gonna go down to Egypt you can turn to the Lord to find strength and help from Him. So if we, if we approach this in the right way, it's going to grow. It's going to enhance our relationship with God. You know, if if, if life were, were perfect and everybody agreed with each other and there was no conflict, you could come away with this perspective thinking, uh, hey, I'm, I'm doing this okay on my own. I've got this. We're, we've got no problems here. It would, it would lead to itself, self-sufficiency. It wouldn't draw um, us closer to Christ. So God allows and designed conflict in the lives as part of the process of growing our relationship with uh, Another one that's been mentioned exposing our sin. Don't say a lot about that, now, but you understand, you understand that happened right? Right? If you were in this, this environment in which you didn't have any problems, where everybody agrees with you, you would probably come away thinking, I'm doing pretty good here. Every, everything goes my way. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm pretty good here. But it's in conflict when those simple things come out, whether desires, thoughts, actions, we realize, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm not near as far along as I thought I was. Oh, Lord, This is hard. So God is very gracious in exposing our sins, and often conflict is a great opportunity for him to do that. Uh, Another one would be to, you mentioned this, to exhibit Christ's work in you. So that that points to the, the witness to the world. So, what evidence, what proof can we have that Jesus is working in us? Well, one of those ways is the way that we handle conflict. Uh, here's one that maybe you had to consider. Uh, that would be to engage the body of Christ. So, in a hard time, This, uh, we we see the the importance of other people. Yeah, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about Paul uses the analogy of the human body and all the parts working together. And if one member is is suffering, it affects the rest of the body. And just because one part is less visible doesn't mean it's less important. So if everything is right, we're going our way. We really wouldn't see much of a need for other people. I've got this. I can do this. It's when things get hard and they start pressing in that we realize, oh, wait a minute. God called me to live in community. He, he's got other brothers and sisters who were designed to come alongside of me. I was designed to function in this body. So suffering, conflict, it really helps engage the whole body of Christ. Other people are, are, are coming alongside and helping them. Uh, so those those are a few a few things. Again, we could spend. Well, let me just give one more right here. To elevate your hope for Christ's return. Okay. So if life was perfect, if everything was just going your way. If you had heaven on earth, would you really be looking for the return of Jesus? Would you be really really looking forward to what God continues to have in store? We we may say that we would. Oh yeah, sure. of course. I'm going to give this wonderful answer. Yeah, I absolutely want that. But is that really the way we live it out? If we have heaven on earth right now? I mean, probably not, right? So... God graciously does not let life go perfectly for us. Why? One of those reasons is to elevate our hope for His return. We should be praying for that, for Jesus to come back and make all these things right. Again. Okay. So there's a lot more we could say about the way we approach and view conflict, but I think you kind of get the point. If we approach conflict as an opportunity, an opportunity to love others, an opportunity for, uh, for these things to happen, then it shapes the way that we handle it. And what I'm not suggesting, though, is as we read these, we start thinking, boy, I wish more of those were true in my life. Maybe I ought to clear up a little conflict. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if God if God uses conflict to produce all these things and to do all these things, then logically wouldn't it make sense that the more conflict I have, the more holy I be. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. I can assure you, conflict is going to come in your life. You don't need to go and seek it out, okay? Trust me, it will come. All right, so let's go back to our action here. And as time, time permits, let's look through. So first, pleasing God and all that I to say. All right. There's a reason why I think we have to start with this, and we can never end on this. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 9 and 10. Now, if we have more time, I would read the context, verses 1 through 8, but I'll just give you the context of that. So Paul is really expressing this tension between being at earth and this temporary body and looking forward toward this glorified body. So, it's this contrast between the tabernacle and the temple. This this temporary dwelling place that we find ourselves in here on this earth, and this future glorified body that we look forward to. So, that's the first eight verses uh, Paul is is really dealing with this tension. He's looking forward to that. He's anticipating this new glorified body. But, verse 9 here, he says, So, whether we are at home meaning with the Lord, or away, meaning here in this earth, we make it, what? Our aim to please him. And then he gives the why. For we all must appear, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So, Paul gives the goal right here to please God. No matter if he's at home with the Lord, or no matter if he's away in his body, his goal is to please God. Now I like the term pleasing God slightly more than glorifying God. There's nothing wrong with glorifying God. That's that's absolutely 100% biblical. The Bible talks a lot about that, but it's a little bit abstract. What's that mean to glorify God? I don't really know, what people would say. I don't know what that looks like. But if you say to please God... It's a little more concrete. Okay, okay, I think I get that. So they're both the same, right? It's just a different way of saying. It. So our goal is to please God. So, uh, I'm gonna erase the title, please. me be really clear here, pleasing God has to be this goal of great goals. You can have a, a goal to, to be a good employee. You can have a, a goal to be um, a, a good parent. You can have a goal to be kind of other. You know, all kinds of great goals in life, right? Because they're all good. But if the main goal is not to please God, if, if pleasing God just becomes one of these goals alongside all the rest of your goals, you will fail. You will fail. Okay. We think God has to be this ultimate goal. It's not a secondary goal. So it's through which all of our other goals have to be understood. So oftentimes we come to conflict and we think the goal is to resolve the tension, resolve the hostility between the other person. I don't disagree. that That's not a goal. But do that without pleasing God. There are ways to do that. Some of us are pretty good at that. Like I said, you can keep it under the rug, you can give them the silent treatment, you can manipulate them, you can blame shift. There's a whole lot of ways in which you can end the hostility. You can kill them, we end the hostility, right? <laughs> so it's not necessarily pleasing God. So, pleasing God is, is the number one goal. And just to be even more clear, what is the cause of all sinful conflict? What do you think is the cause of all sinful conflict? Now that's true. That conflict is everything we talk about. But think about it in this context. Conflict happens because at least one person is failing to please God. What would happen if both people in there were pleasing God? What would happen? Yeah. Right. So when you have conflict, sinful conflict now, not disagreement, but in our context, sinful conflict, you can take it to the bank that at least one person is failing to please God. Understand what you're going to say. Yeah, I know. Tell them to, to get that <laughs> right. Tell the other person to realize that. Well, it's usually not how it works. It's usually, well, at least some of that's on our part, right there. Um, so there's there's a lot we could say about uh, uh, this, these two verses right here. We could talk about the rewards, but again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into that. Um, I point you to uh, verses 14 and 15 in chapter 5 as well. And verses 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So look at verse 15. So the death of Jesus took away any right we thought we had to live for ourselves. So when you became a Christian, you no longer have the right to live for yourself anymore. So you how to this provide a conflict? I want them to understand what I'm thinking. Hey, guess what? You don't have the right to live for yourself anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, I want them to agree. With you. I want them to respect me. I want them to love me. I want them to, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Hey, guess what? You don't have the right to live for yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. So it's not what do you want out of this? It's what does God want out of this? So all of of that changes the way that we approach conflicts. So pleasing pleasing God is our goal. Now, what I love about pleasing God, just having this goal right here, is that who does it depend on? In other words, if, if the goal is to please, if the goal is to please God and everything, how much of that is dependent on your spouse or your friend or the other person? Yeah, right. I mean, it's, can please God in your confidence regardless of what the other person says. Now, I would like the heat. We'll talk about the heat. The heat squeezes you. They can put a lot of pressure on you. They can squeeze you until you feel like you're just going to explode. I totally get that. But they can't stop you from completing God. So, often conflicts, you're familiar with this, right? Well, I'll change the they change. As soon as they start doing it, then I'll start doing it. Well, I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop doing it because they're just not doing their part. What's it all come back to? We just don't want to please God. We're, just, we're, waiting, we're depending on the other person to do what they're supposed to do instead of realizing we need to please God ourselves, regardless of what they do. So here's, here's the good news for you you can please God no matter what they do. If, if your spouse or your friend doesn't please God, you can be where God wants you to be. You can enjoy his blessings and his benefits regardless of what they do. And it gets even better than that. What happens if they please God, too? There's no reason why your relationship can't be really, really good. If more people are seeking to please God, that should result in a relationship. So this whole, It motivates us, and it controls us. Some of you need motivation, Okay? So some of you are holding back, you're putting it on the other person, and when they change, then I'll change. When they do that, then I'll do that. The other thing that to push you is to you an opportunity to that. It's not depending on them. No matter what they do, I still need to do that. Others really of you need a little uh, restraint. You're kind of impulsive, you're kind of rash. you're kind of just uh, dispersing in there, saying things like, whoa, this needs to slow you down a little bit, okay? Instead of just spurting something out and saying something, okay, is this just going to please God. Am I doing what needs to please God? So we start with the goal of pleasing God, and the, the more we do this... Again, how does the other person going to respond? What are they going to do? I don't know. We don't know. But you can still get closer to God. And if they both do that, then you both get closer to God. Now I want to warn you before we move on that as you begin to seek to please God, things will often get more difficult. Don't expect things to necessarily get better at first. So many people are caught off guard. This is not working. I'm trying to please God here and the conflict's only getting worse. We're having more arguments instead of less. It's just not working. I don't understand why you don't give me something useful to do. Like pleasing God. I mean it's just not working. Yeah, it's probably going to get harder before it gets better. So just know that. That's like you've got to push through that. Any thoughts on uh, this one right here, God? Any questions about that or Okay. The so next one would be the A. Um, I won't write that up there, but, but altering, the E, I'm sorry, uh, encouraging myself in the hope of the gospel. So in conflicts it's difficult because we're often hopeless. We often don't see a way out of this, especially the worst the conflict is. So we need that gospel hope. And if we think about hope, you've probably heard this before, but, but biblical hope is a lot different than wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not just. I hope it happens. Biblical hope is that confident expectation that God is going to be faithful. He's, he's going to be true. He's going to be good because of His character, right there. So the gospel provides us with hope. 2 Corinthians. Take a look in chapter three, and let's take a look at really in a larger section, verses 4 to 18. Uh, But for the sake of time, we'll just highlight some verses right here. So take a look in verse um, 4 and 5. Can somebody read those verses, please? So, when we run into conflict, we realize that we just don't have what it takes. If we're looking to ourselves for all the resources and help and strength, we just don't have that. And we're reminded here in 2 Corinthians that our sufficiency is from Christ. Sufficiency is from God. God is going to provide the resources, the help that we need to make it through this conflict in a way that we can please Him. And there's... um, There's a lot of things that we can be tempted to put our hope in, especially when it comes to conflict. There's a lot of things we could look to. And so this is the opportunity to look for the true hope that comes uh, from God. So often as we talk about the gospel, we use that pretty generically. We use it as like a big catch-all term. And a lot of people don't understand, you know, you're saying that there's hope in the gospel. How, how, do, how, does, how does the gospel give me hope in the conflict I'm currently experiencing? I can understand if I'm coming to faith in Christ, is what many people would think. But how does it help me right now as a Christian? And so what we've lost, I think, is, is we've, uh, we, we look at the gospel as probably too small. So the gospel, you know that is the good news. The good news is what God has done through Jesus Christ. That is a really, really big thing. It's not something that we can just reduce down to justification, being declared righteous. The gospel, the good news is bigger than that. So In the good news of the gospel, God is transforming us and God is changing us to look like him. So he doesn't just say, I'm setting you aside, you know, I've justified you now, that's all there is to it, that's the gospel. No, God says, yes, I've set you aside, I've declared you righteous, but I'm also transforming you. So in conflict, we need this reminder that God is transforming us, that he's changing us, that he's supplying what we need to be like Jesus Christ. So if you read the Bible, that's my hope, that you don't lose sight of... of, um, the gospel for your life, Uh, let's look at a couple ways that that I'm going to demonstrate this out here. So, in other words, the gospel, the good news of what God has done, enables us to love our enemies. See 1 John 3.16, for example. So, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, he enables us to love even our enemies. Another great uh, passage is in Luke 6, 27 and 28. And that's also a passage about how we, just, how we respond and treat even our enemies. So the gospel enables us to love our enemies. It enables us to take initiative in resolving our conflict. Uh, we've looked at some, some passages and verses already on that. It helps us to admit our own faults. And it helps us to make conflict as an opportunity to live as an ambassador for Jesus. All right, so our hope in conflict really is in Christ and in his gospel. So we need need encouragement. When you're in conflict, we need encouragement. And the encouragement that I want to emphasize here is not encouragement from a worldly standpoint of, you're going to make it through it, this is all going to turn out okay, Uh, Just tough it out, just stick it out It's all gonna work out, okay There's a lot of sayings and things like that That we can throw at people But from God's perspective How can we really have assurance That we're going to be able to handle this? How can we really know that we're going to make it through it? Well, we look at what God has done In reconciling us to himself Through Jesus Christ And if God has done that Then he will also give us help and strength in the daily battles that we experience. So encouraging. There's a number of verses throughout the Bible that point back to this hope that we have. And again, for the sake of time, we don't have time to look at all those today. The third letter is A, altering my worship and behavior. And there. There, we would recognize that there needs to be a a change both in our behavior and in our worship. That itself uh, takes a little bit of time to unpack, which we are uh, out of time, so we'll have time to to do that today. So, I'll just introduce um, the, just talk briefly about the last several ones of these, and then uh, we'll pick pick this back up later. The C would be one we've already talked about. I'm confessing my log plank sins. So how do we go about identifying those things that we need to confess? And I, I would point you back to that lesson we had on confession. And then the key would be something else that we're going to pick up throughout the remainder of this course. How do we extend Christ-like grace, love, and forgiveness to other people? So we've talked about forgiveness already, but we're, we still have more to say about extending love toward other people right there. So, uh, my hope is, I wasn't trying to make this, there's no way that you can have a one-hour thing on uh, how to handle every nuance, every area of resolving conflict. That's not my point. My hope was simply to give you a, a larger framework through which to approach this. We can unpack that. Um, I know this is not a class, per se, of conflict, so there's a, we're only going to address that to a limited degree, but I think you have... My hope is that you have at least more of a perspective on what that will look like. Okay? So any uh, thoughts or questions as we end here? Oh, yes. Yes. Perfect. Yes. So our, we're going to have a marriage conference uh, at the end of April that is a on conflict So navigating this. So I would encourage you to come to that, make plans for that. And you can see more of these things plus others uh, expanded out in a lot more detail so next week uh, just a reminder, next week there's, there's not class, everyone's meeting uh, down in the Life Center there Family Center, and then we'll pick back up the week after that so, may the Lord be with you uh, thank you for coming today